Material on this program is intended for general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. None of the information contained in this broadcast is intended by the host to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. Endorsed Local Provider is an endorsement of customer service only and does not reflect quality of investment decisions and is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor, security sold through Independent Financial Group, LLC, member of FINRA and SIPC. Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house and giving out prescriptions for better financial help to make you smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner and an investment advisor with over 20 years' experience providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis. I'm a Dave Ramsey local provider, also have an MBA in finance, and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 20 years. And I'm Gordon Leppard, financial advisor with Richard Young Associates. Good to be here today, guys. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And we're excited to have you listening to us today on our weekly radio show. We are right here every Saturday like today from 9 to 10 a.m. You can also go to our website, moneymd.net. We have a uh, podcast link on there. Uh, it's over on the right-hand side of the uh, screen. And if you've missed a show in the past, you can go back and listen to it. You can share it with your friends. Uh, easy way to, to listen to, uh, to past shows. That's right. You can also look us up on iTunes. Um, you know, we're all over the place. And you can uh, email us your questions, too. You can email us directly off our website. Uh, you can link to us there, or you can email us directly at info at moneymd.net. We would love to hear from you. Well, guys, I think we have an awesome show lined up for today. Um, you know, we're going to start off here talking about the, the big difference between men and women, right? Gordon? Financially, that is. That's right. They tell us that uh, men are from Mars and women are from Venus. That's right. I've heard that and That's even reflective in our finances and the way that no, we no, kind of no. handle our, our finances. So this is an interesting article that we'll be covering from uh, BlackRock Investments, and um, looking forward to it. Yeah, truly, men and women do look at money differently, so mm-hmm. that will be very interesting. And we're going to follow that up with the five biggest vacation mistakes, um, you know, budget mistakes, that is, when budgeting vacations. You know, I mean... Uh, you always talk about vacations. I, I do always talk about vacations. This is really about budgeting, but, but with the vacation twist, you know, because it is vacation time. Hey, it's spring. It's you always know? vacation it's, it's, time. It is always vacation Things time. Things are warming up. Time to get That's out. That's right. It's time to get out. And you need to plan for it, though. You need to have a good, solid budget for it. There are some common mistakes people make, particularly with vacation, but with budgeting in general. So we'll dig into that. It's a great, great topic. And then we're going to close out with a, a great article from uh, USA Today. Today, um, talking about the best investing advice is just to leave it alone. We're going to go through some stats, really interesting study that just went on. And I'll sum it up. Warren Buffett actually said this. The stock market is designed to transfer money from the active to the patient. I love that. I did yeah, too. I saw that, and I was like, man, that that's is That's really simple but easy to understand. That's so. a great quote. Yeah, well, you just gave away the candy, so now we don't even need to listen. Man. Yeah, but we've got some other good data and <laughs> that's study true. That's results. True. So That's true. Speaking of which, we're going to start off with a very interesting stat here, and that is the financial fact of the week. Yeah, this comes from the American Consumer Credit Counseling Agency, and a recent surveys found that 31% of U.S. households are providing some sort of financial assistance to their adult children and uh, that's a little bit larger than the 21 percent of u.s households that are providing financial assistance to their elderly 
parent. So, wow. Ouch. I mean, it's hard enough to take care of one household, but over 50% of households are either taking care of their kids or helping their kids, adult children, right, or their adult parents. And heaven help you if you're doing both. Oh, goodness. I was saying the same thing, Steve. There, there are got to be some people that are in that category Absolutely. that are doing both. And, you know, and, and how blessed are you if you're not doing either? Because yeah. half the American households apparently are doing one or the other. Yeah, I know. It's what a strain and a stress on a, on a family. It is. That's a very interesting fact. And that just, to me, that goes to show how, for kids, you need to be sure your kids get an effective education where they can get a job and support themselves. I don't care if it's tech school, whatever mm-hmm. it is. I mean, there are plenty of good professions out there, but it needs to be effective. And I tell you, there's a lot of great uh, information out there. Obviously, we try to provide some of that on this on this show, but Dave Ramsey has a lot of good information. Susie Orm and Clark Howard, go out there and do some research and share that with your kids. Wouldn't you say that'd be a good part of your retirement plan? Yes. <laughs> is, is yes. Making sure Absolutely. that your, your kids are well educated and, no doubt. and empowered yeah. to be able Very to do that. Point. So it's quite a dent in your retirement plan if you're if you're helping your adult kids and you know, that can last I mean a lot longer than four years. That mm-hmm. can go on for a, a decade. Yeah. You know, so uh-huh. You, you gotta get your kids weaned and and you know pointed in the right direction with a great education that they can get a job in. Okay, interesting fact of the week, and that leads us up here to our first topic, and that is men are from Mars, women are from Venus, especially financially. Is that what you're going to tell us, Gordon? Well, that's you know that's what they say. So uh, yeah, let's take a look at that. You know, when John Gray famously wrote the the book "Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus," <clears throat> excuse me. He was focused more on love than he was on money. Yet somehow, you know, this this same analogy works uh, when we're talking about the world of finance. So, you know, at least in the general sentiment uh, revealed in a survey that was just put out, you know, not too long ago by BlackRock Investments, among other things, women are generally more cautious with their money. They hold more cash than most men do, and they're less likely to invest in the markets, and they usually accumulate less for retirement. Now, we're not saying this is a blanket statement no, for all. certainly okay? not. Generally but it's speaking. Just saying, generally speaking, and from the, the data that they received uh, within the survey. Yeah, there are always exceptions to this, but, I mean, yeah, this survey seems to support the idea and it says, you know, whereas men are generally shown to be more focused on investing and growing their wealth for the long term, women tend to be emphasized more the day-to-day health of the household finances, you know, assigning more importance to the short-term needs, making sure everything's – all the bases are covered mm-hmm. right, before right. thinking long-term. You know, then there are great points to both of those. Yeah. I mean, you need both perspectives to have a healthy household and a healthy financial situation. That's right. And granted, that could certainly be reversed. We see you know, the opposite in some households, and that's fine. Um, but, you know, the key is is mixing these financial ma- uh, mindsets to, to create a happy marriage it brings the balance to the conversation and ensures that the long-term plans, uh, you know, are looked at, and um, you know, also from a budgeting perspective, and also the the daily and the weekly financial needs um, of the family are met as well. So both mindsets are, are positive, and they just work together. Yes, they are. They they are both very important, and you know, the statistics they they tell us a few things here that uh, either via divorce or widowhood, women may be going it alone at some point. You know, surprisingly, uh, 59 is the the median age that a woman loses her spouse, and the average widow outlives her husband. They say by 14 years. Yeah, that surprised. 59 you know? seems rather young. So, you sure know, does. what does this tell us? Uh, more importantly, what does this signal for women and their finances? You know, when uh, when, when we're looking at this thing, big picture. So, here here's five considerations that you know we need to look at 
uh, when we're talking about men and women and their finances. Steve, kick us off with the first one there. Yeah, the first one is you need to acknowledge what you do and don't know. You know, I've always heard that said, you know, you need to know what you don't know. That's right. I think that's a very important concept. And in this case, you need to know both what you do know and what you don't know. Yeah, you need to understand the division of labor in your relationship when it comes to financial matters and accept your, your strengths and those of your partner. I mean, you don't need to shift your emphasis, but you need to know that you may need to take on a second hand at some point. You know, make sure, make it your business to understand the full picture and know where all of your essential financial information is organized and kept. You got to know what your strengths are and what bases aren't covered by either one of you that, that need to be covered. Don't you think that gets down to good communication? Typically, yeah, does. you know, yeah, I mean, that's something that we all all talk about all the time. Is that's right? Is good communication there it's a big part of it? Absolutely, and part of that kind of goes along with what you're saying. There is engaging early and, and often, and uh, make sure that you and your spouse have established a rapport with your financial professionals, and maybe you have an accountant. Uh, financial advisor, estate planning attorney, uh, make it a point to identify some topics that you're interested in discussing with each one of them. So you're learning and you understand, um, you know, different pieces of the puzzle. You know, if you're meeting with your financial advisor and they're focused just on investments, um, you know, that may not be your cup of tea. So schedule a time to discuss a different aspect of your finances. Maybe it's saving for college. You know, if you're doing this regularly, you'll you'll be fully engaged in the present. And you'll feel empowered to tackle some of the other topics um, that uh, typically, you know, maybe wear you down or not interested. But you can kind of get more education by by engaging with these financial professionals. They have specific, um, you know, uh, you know, technical abilities in certain areas. So use them in, in your process. Right, right. Um, a third one here, like Steve mentioned, this is very similar to the first one that Steve kind of kicked us off with, is know and address your weaknesses um, as well. Research uh, revealed some common investing mistakes that didn't discriminate by gender. The top four were uh, emotional investing, which can lead to hasty and unfruitful investing decisions, short-sightedness, which can keep you from seeing the big picture in, in long term, a lack of diversification, a.k.a. stacking your risk by holding too few positions or, you know, being, uh, I guess another way to put that is um, overweighted in a particular sector or not asset class, you know, right. not being diversified. And then uh, the fear factor in which hoarding cash or discriminant risk avoidance hampers us uh, from participating in the upswing of things, you know, and, and being in the game, actually. So what do you do? Be honest and, and take inventory of your challenges. Then discuss the possible solutions with your financial advisor. You know, we, we it seems like we keep getting around to mm-hmm. the communication theme. You know, and talking about things. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, a couple of these before we go to break here are, are talking about knowing your weaknesses. And that's where, you know, working with an accountant or a financial yeah. advisor or a real estate attorney, I mean, those folks are typically, again, they're, they're, they're trained in certain areas. It's hard to be a professional or an expert, expert in everything. That's right. So um, reach out and, and work with some folks in the industry. It, it can pay off. I mean, you know, it's a, it's a good thing to communicate. Yeah, it's just like in golf, knowing your weaknesses. I mean, you got to know where your big miss is. You know, you got to know where you're vulnerable to hit a bad shot. And the same thing applies to finances. Isn't it great how everything just relates back it's to golf? Comes full swing or the, vacation golf. Vacation you know, you know. golf. It, it's all <laughs> related. You know, life. It all boils down to 
The golf and vacation. I just love it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, with that thought, that leads us right up to break here. But if you have questions, you can email us at info at moneymd.net, or you can give us a call at 706-739-0725. You're listening to Money MD. We'll be right back at these messages. Stay with us. Welcome back to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner, and I'm here with John Travis, who is a Dave Ramsey local provider, and Gordon Leopard, who is an advisor at Richard Young Associates. And we are continuing our discussion here before the break about the other side of the coin. You know, I mean, women and men view money very differently. Right, the old, and, uh, the old Mars and Venus thing. Mm-hmm. That's right, exactly. Yeah. I mean, this is a great topic, you know. And I mean, we forget how we have to work together with our spouse sometimes to cover all the bases, and how we need both both perspectives, you know, in a in a in a good marriage to be successful financially. You know, uh, absolutely, and and being sensitive to each other's needs. Uh, you know, and just being able to communicate about that openly. Sometimes uh, it's good to do that with a third party. Mm-hmm. That's you know, right. And that's why we suggest, you know, <clears throat> taking some time getting together with, you know, either your insurance guy, your tax professional, uh, your lawyer, your financial professional, mm-hmm. whatever the case may be. Like John's mentioned several times, you know, <clears throat> each of these people are specialized in their skills and they can bring greater insight mm-hmm. uh, to that particular subject. So it's, it's very important that we take the time to. Uh, communicate about that. Yeah, those are the first, first couple we just talked about. We also have another one here. Be prepared for the unexpected. I mean, a life transition such as a divorce or someone passing away is, is difficult enough, but, you know, having your financial papers or, or, or key, you know, information in order ahead of that event um, certainly will help to ease the stress when, when those changes do come. Um, you know, it's advisable to make important decisions when everyone is uh, in good health. So uh, look at establishing a will, you know, assigning beneficiaries, having succession plans. I mean, plan for incapacity. I mean, it's it's a it's tough to talk about, but we see it happening, you know, frequently. So having an estate plan is one of the ways that you can ensure that your wishes are, are fulfilled. And if you're confronted with, um, you know, a divorce, your considerations may include, you know, child care, insurance, uh, beneficiary changes, taxes, relocation. I mean, there's a lot of different pieces. And I think as you go through these life events, again, reaching out to to uh, professionals out in the industry is going to be important. You know, it's like uh, Dave always says, Dave Ramsey says, life happens. Mm-hmm. And that's a very broad statement, but, you know, life does happen, and that comes in all different shapes and forms. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, you know, another key point here is you need to make retirement a priority. Um, especially for women, because simply put, women earn 77 cents for every dollar earned by men. So their life's likely to be covered by a company retirement plan and a pension plan. They have longer life expectancies than men. And as the survey showed, I mean, they set aside less for retired years than men do. So, But the upshot is, I mean, women need to be particularly conscientious about saving for retirement. You know, they need to create a personal financial plan and that can help them establish a vision and make make decisions clearly, you know, pointed toward retirement. It's a very important point here. I mean, women need to be particularly conscious about about uh, planning for retirement. That's right. 
Well, you know, after all said and done, men and women may differ uh, in their approach to finances. And like we said, you know, they're from Mars. Uh, we're, we're from Mars, they're from Venus, but guess what? We all live on the same planet, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, one interesting statistic here uh, that they that they finish with is says sixty eight percent of men and sixty two percent of women in uh, this survey agreed that they take financial planning seriously, uh, you know. And again, that's kind of a broad statement, but. The fact that that they see it as a serious subject and that it needs, uh, mm-hmm. you know, some attention. That's I think that's it's just important. Similar between the men and women there, but it's a little scary that thirty to forty percent don't take it seriously. It is. You know, that's yeah. A, well, yeah, absolutely. That's a big percentage, but I think men and women in general are thinking about it just in different ways sometimes. Right. So. And I think you know, being married can be a, a, a great asset in planning for retirement because you do have two different perspectives. You and, know? I would, and I think that's the, that's a strength in a marriage. That's right. And if you're single and listening to this, you got to have a, an accountability partner. Um, maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a, a third party. One of these professionals that we've talked about. So uh, it does make it more difficult when you're single going through this process. So. Exactly. Okay, great topic. Thanks, guys. That leads us up to our question of the week. Yeah, this question was um, it came about two weeks ago, and the question is, is my husband and I are 50 and we have two kids in college. Uh, we're concerned we're not saving enough for uh, money for retirement. How do we know? And, and so Good question. that's a very, very common question. Um, a lot of details involved in there. You basically have to sit down and go through a retirement plan. Definitely. We, we talk about retirement plans frequently on, on the show, but it's basically looking to, you know, how much have you saved to date? How much do you need to have saved in the future? And then how much do you need to save on a monthly basis to meet that goal? So there's some inputs. We have a um, pretty robust financial planning um, process and package that we use that it, it, it'll tell you and give you some, you know, some pretty good ideas and indications. Are you on track? And if you're not, then you have to figure out what are some other things that you need to do in order to get there. So um, Exactly. A lot of times people want to put that off. And you need to resist that temptation and face it now. I mean, the only way to have real peace about retirement is to run a plan. Mm -hmm. And you run a plan, face, you know, the decisions you have to make. You know, you can afford the answer, even if it's bad news. You need to know it now and so that you can adjust things. And then then you'll have true peace in, in your, you know, trip toward retirement and everything you do, knowing that you're on track and that you have a plan in place. And it's never too late. I mean, we run these plans for folks going into retirement to see how that's going to look. But, you know, if you can start in your 40s or even 30s, um, you know, and 20s is even even that much better. But, you know, just think about it. Financial planning and this retirement plan is key. Exactly. Okay, great question. That leads up to our next topic here, and that is the five biggest vacation budgeting mistakes um, you know, guys, when when you think of budgeting, most people think of financial chains and ropes. I mean, they think of a lot of constraints, and it's just not a – they think it, it's a painful process, but it doesn't have to be. I mean, it can be relatively simple and liberating. And you don't have to feel guilty going on vacation, playing golf, having a good time. You don't yes. feel guilty, do you? No, and and I, I budgets, feel guilty budgets not golf. a four-letter word. No. It's not. It's Count them. Yeah. It's <laughs> not. I mean, and so, I mean, vacation, you know, needs to be relaxing. And if you're going to be relaxed on vacation, you need to have a budget for that as well. Mm. It needs to be part of your budget, you know, and it needs to be well thought out. So, in fact, I mean, having a good budget is the most relaxing, liberating way to take a vacation. It's kind of like having a GPS on your road trip to <clears> retirement. <throat> You know, you don't have to follow it exactly, but it can be a guide, and it can make 
your journey a lot more stress-free to retirement and to your other goals and same thing with vacation and it doesn't have to be complicated it just has to be effective um, in fact, I mean, I sat down with a young couple recently uh, that had gone to, to Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University class, and I could tell you she was fired up. She was she got it. They were on track, and they had a budget, and it had really liberated them because they now felt like they were they were free to spend their money, to to go and you know have fun within their budget. And they didn't have to worry about whether or not they were on track. So, you know, if you're 65 and you're retired, living well within your means, maybe you don't need a budget. But I can tell you the other 95% mm-hmm. do need a budget. Yeah, no doubt. And, you know, a recent stat, only 35% have a financial strategy. I mean, very, very low and only 17% update it, uh, you know, on a regular basis. So having a budget is a critical piece of any financial strategy. And without it, you're flying in the dark when it comes to planning for a vacation or a financial move. And uh, my uh, my friend over here, Gordon, just pointed out that budget is a six-letter word, but I spell budget B-U-D-G-T. So I just try to say it really quick. So that's where yeah, I got the five right. from. Five, so. yeah, that, that works. Budget, you know. but budget. You just abbreviate <laughs> it. There you go. <laughs> Let's hope you don't abbreviate your budget, John. <laughs> that's right. Uh, yeah, well, let me tell you a story. When, when Kathy and I first got married, I mean, we were pretty tight with our money. We had we had a plan for saving a lot of money for a house and for other things. We had a budget. I was an engineer, so I was fairly analytical. Still am, you know, but but less so today. Um, anyway, we just had this big green graph pad that I had that I, I used as our budget. You know, I would fill out a different page every month. And after we'd been married a few years, I wanted to take a big vacation. Um, I had never been off the East Coast. I mean, my parents, they didn't take me out of South Carolina, Georgia, and Florida. I mean, I was really <laughs> just right here on the East Coast, not Southeast. Uh, I did not travel much. And so, you know, we wanted to fly out to California, wanted to drive around the state, see the West Coast. I had always heard about and never seen it. Um, so we saved just enough frequent flyer miles from a few business trips that I'd taken and, and job interviews. We cut coupons out of Rand McNally atlases, to, to date myself here, um, for La Quinta Inns, where we stayed $39 a night. I still remember that. We mm. I bought a lot, bunch of atlases. Wow. <laughs> it was pretty funny. Yeah, I mean, and we got a cheap car for the week. We found an upgrade deal to a luxury car. So we got free flights out to San Francisco from Flicker Flyer Miles, 25,000 miles back then, could get you a flight all the way out there. Right. $39 a night hotels. I got a $100 uh, car with a free upgrade. So I got a Cadillac for nine days. Uh, for $100? For $100, pretty much. Of this? Wow. this was back then. What's that? You have pictures? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, certainly. we're going to see some pictures. I'll have to show you. Put them on the website. Huh? I'll have to show you, no doubt. Yeah, when we got there, we went to the grocery store. We bought a styrofoam cooler, um, bag of ice, um, groceries. I mean, we we really did it on the on the on the cheap. Yeah, we really did. Like it, it was a great vacation. So I'll finish this story when I get back. I mean, but you know, you can do it cheap, and that's the point here. We'll continue with when we get back from break. But if you have questions, you can email us at info at moneymd.net, or you can give us a call at 706-739-0725. You're listening to Money MD. We'll be right back with these messages in Gmail News. Stay with us. (laughs) 
Welcome back to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner, and I'm here with John Travis, who is a Dave Ramsey local provider, and Gordon Leopard, who is an advisor at Richard Young Associates. And we are going to continue our discussion here, um, talking about the five biggest vacation budgeting mistakes. Um, you know, and this really apply to to any budget. These are general budgeting mistakes. Um, I think they, but they particularly apply to vacations too. Mm-hmm. We're kind of applying them to vacations today. But you know, I mean, the point here is, you know, one of the points we're making here is. You have to make sure you have a budget in the first place, and um, it's just very, very important. Um, and it liberates you; it frees you up to to uh, to go enjoy yourself. Yeah, so you don't feel yeah. guilty. Basically. You don't have to feel guilty. You can stress. you can take vacations. You can you know do the things you need to do in your household. Um, you can you know have the gym membership in your budget and and go you know spend money on the things you enjoy. But it's within your budget, and you're still on track to retirement, you know, or whatever your long-term goals are. Um, and I was just telling you about, you know, our Kathy and I, are my, my first big vacation. We love taking big vacations. That's kind of our thing, you know. Um, we never did it when I was a kid, and I always wanted to do it whenever I got older. And uh, so we kind of started that tradition, and we started it, you know, our first trip here. We went out to California. I had never seen the West Coast, um, grew up here on the East Coast and Southeast and never left, you know, the three-state area, it seems like here, three or four states. And um, so I really wanted to see the West Coast. So after a few years we've been married, you know, we I saved up freaking flyer miles, um, you know, and planned 300 days in advance, whatever it was, and, and got the freaking flyer tickets out there for me and her. And, you know, we cut coupons out of Ram McNally atlases for La Quinta Inns for $39 a night. Um, you know, we, we got a coupon for a cheap upgrade for a car deal. And, you know, we got a weekly deal for a regular car for like a hundred bucks. And then we upgraded to a Cadillac for nine, nine days out there. I mean, it was just unbelievable. Um, some of the things we did when I think back on it, we, when we got there, we bought a styrofoam cooler, we bought groceries, ice bag, and we bought, you know, we had like picnic lunches. Every day, so we How romantic. I was yeah, gonna say, there's some nice places to have some picnic lunches. It, out there, it sure was. You know, we drove to Northern California and had picnic lunches at picnic tables out in the vineyards and stuff. I oh, mean, wow. it was pretty fun. I mean, I put over two thousand miles on that Cadillac. We drove from north of San Francisco down to Tijuana, <laughs> back through the Mojave Desert, and and through Death Valley across Yosemite. Wow. You know. That's a lot of miles. You guys did put some miles that on That Cadillac road read 121 degrees when we were driving through Death Valley. <laughs> it was fun. Very memorable vacation. I mean, we saw things I had never, never seen in my life. And, you know, all nine days with the flight, we did it all for under $1,000, which today would probably be $2,000. But still, yeah, that's a- you know, that's a pretty darn good deal from east coast to west coast for nine days you know the point is you can have a fun memorable vacation it doesn't have to be that expensive if you plan on it and you stick to a plan that's the point that's right and you know um here we're gonna we're start with some of the uh mistakes you know that we were talking about the first mistake uh mentioned is not having a real plan i guess or not having a real budget Mm -hmm. or cash flow plan uh People might have, you know, listed estimated major expenses, but not really a budget, you know, not really knowing um, 
the controls and and feedback that a real budget should be showing you. Uh, a real budget has a plan uh, of what category expense each one will be. Uh, then it tells you, hey, you're over budget, Stop or that's right, or you're within, uh, you know, your means. And it, it it just it's a great guide to kind of help keep you on track. Yeah, I mean, there is a difference between what a real budget is and what most people have. Most people just kind of have a list of their estimated expenses after the fact. And they're major ones, and they don't they really detail it. That's not a real budget. A real budget has to be kept up with monthly or daily if it's a vacation budget. And, you know, a real budget has to have consequences when you're over in a category. You know, if it's the envelope system, the envelope's empty, then you stop spending in that category. Yeah. You know, there's, there are some controls in place, It takes right? discipline sometimes, but it does. It does. Flags. You know, so an estimate of your expenses after the fact is not a real budget. So for, for vacations, you really need to have a complete breakdown. You need to stick to it. Maybe you use cash for eating out, but you got to have a way of accounting for it and stop, you know, spending in a category to keep it in budget. So that was number one, not having a real budget. Number two here, mis- the second mistake is not budgeting properly for the non-periodic things. Um, and vacations is one of those. You know, if you look at a general budget, a lot of people... They will not. They don't think about the things that are that are non-routine. Um, they have to be in a budget and they have to be safe for. I mean, you know, just having a wild guess in your head and and coming in twice that doesn't get her done. When it's talking about a budget, um, you know, you can plan a nice beach trip. You can save <clears throat> for the rent. But if you leave out the food, you're done. Especially um, to the beach. You <laughs> yeah, do. I mean, food, food and other expenses associated with vacation can be the biggest part. Um, controlling those is huge to keeping it reasonable. Um, we love to go on cruises with some of our friends, and, and they can be very affordable. We've talked about that before. But the extras will easily double your, your cost if you allow them to. Um, so you got to budget for all parts of the vacation. In fact, you know, speaking of vacations again, we took an entire trip, uh, our entire family to to Maui back a number of years ago for a week, and we did it for less than two thousand dollars. Yeah, that's that's pretty good. It was pretty amazing. Now we did have freaking flyer miles. You know, I had built up quite a few by using the the freaking flyer credit card, and we had to book those twenty foot three hundred twenty days in advance, and we got tickets for twenty five thousand apiece. So we got all the the flights for free mm-hmm. you know well we got a nice rental place it was on the beach it wasn't the most desirable location in maui still it was only 1300 bucks for a week for a condo um you know so you can do that i mean we rented a cheap rental car it was only 125 bucks for a week in maui wow yeah it was it was just a little jeep type car you know it was it was good we, we bought groceries for most breakfasts and lunch i mean you know, we, we only ate out for dinner. Um, we bought snorkel gear at Walmart in Maui for 25 bucks a piece. Yeah, we great. didn't rent nothing, man. <laughs> I mean, we were there for a week. We rented nothing but a car. We, we drove to all the great sites. We did everything. <clears throat> but most of those things are, are kind of nature things, you know, so they're very cheap. I mean, driving up to the top of Haleakala and, you know, uh, uh, going to the blowholes and the the... 
the road to Hana. I mean, all the things like that are, are free, basically. They're just driving and just going and looking and taking pictures, you know. So, I mean, if you want to go to nice dinners and stuff, on it, that's fine. You just have to budget for it, you know. And, and uh, you know, God bless you if you can afford it. But the point is, you don't have to do that. Yeah, I mean, great vacations, as you, as you point out, they don't have to be expensive if you plan properly. Uh, and use all the re, you know resources. I mean, not everyone has a frequent flyer mile, so that's a great way to save. But maybe you have an uncle that has a timeshare or a vacation house. Um, you know, you also need to look at budgeting. You've mentioned it a couple times. Eating out can be significant cost associated with it. Bike rentals, um, scuba gear, things like that. So, you know, you got to make sure that you go through the whole entire list of activities because, as you talked about the cruise, it can easily double it if you take um, you do all the excursions and all that other stuff. So it, it can be expensive. Exactly. So you just need to account for all that. Okay, and then mistake number three is not keeping track of discretionary expenses, the miscellaneous items, you know, in your general budget as well as, you know, for vacations. I mean, most people pay for miscellaneous stuff with a credit card, and then they just list them all as one category, like credit card expenses. I mean, the problem is there's no control or breakdown there. You know, you have gas, food, you have Walmart items, you have all that stuff that ends up getting lumped together there, and you can't let that happen. I mean, it can be $500 in one month and $2,000 in next, and you don't know why. So you have to break out your credit card, your debit card expenses down completely each month to know where it's all going, and especially after vacations. Um, you have to break it all down. And if you're overspending in an area, you need to break it down weekly if necessary, you know, so you know that when, you, when you're over in that category. And then you stop spending in that category. When you're done, you're done. You're done, you're done. You have to have some controls in place. So, you know, if that doesn't doesn't work for you, you need to start using the envelopes and just use cash for those items. Then when the envelopes are empty, it's empty. All right. Yeah. Mistake number four. Now, this is... Uh, this is one where it's kind of stepping on our toes a little bit here. It says, not being willing to compromise on vacation budget busters. Now, I know some people that would be willing to sleep in a car yep. and eat at a nice restaurant. <clears throat> you know, I've and, heard of those people. That's yeah, right. I've heard of those people, Gordon. That's right. We, we know a few of those folks. And then there are others who would fast the entire vacation to stay in a swanky hotel. Or play golf. Or play golf. You know, yeah. they may not eat I've the entire seven people. days. So, you know, it's really according to your preference and, you know, things that you guys want to enjoy. But, you know, there is going to have to be some give and take. You know, psychologically, we don't want to change and we don't want to feel that pain of, of not having what we want. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we've got to make some of those compromises. That's exactly right. Okay, we'll continue with this list when we come back from the break. Um, But if you have questions, you can email us at info at moneymd.net, or you can give us a call during regular business hours at Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. You're listening to Money MD. We'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner, and I'm here with John Travis, who is a Dave Ramsey local provider, and Gordon Leopard, who is an advisor at Richard Young Associates. And we are continuing our discussion here before the break about the five biggest vacation budgeting mistakes. Um, you know, guys, um, it is vacation time, as it always is in my household. <laughs> if we can squeeze one in, I love vacations. And, you know, I mean, but vacations can ruin your budget. Um, 
they can get out of control in a hurry. I have some friends that will take vacations and, you know, something that should only cost, you know, a quick weekend for maybe, you know, $500, and it will end up costing them. I know it probably cost them a thousand fifteen hundred bucks because they just kill it on eating out Mm -hmm. you know and and there's no budget for it and just go and and you know if they're listening today you know sorry god bless you you, didn't name them so i didn't name them but (laughs) you know and they know it too i mean they just kill it on eating out and and you can do that and um if you don't plan for it and have any constraints it will kill it and that's true in budgets anywhere and particularly on vacations you got to plan for the small things, and um, you gotta you gotta have all these. You know, you gotta have a real budget in place. You gotta plan properly for the for the small expenses and non obvious expenses. You gotta keep track of your discretionary items. Um, you know, the cash expenses and shopping and stuff like that. <clears throat> you gotta be willing to compromise on the big budget busters that Gordon just mentioned. And, you know, and you can still enjoy those things. It just has to be in moderation. It has to be well-planned in advance. And you have to be willing to face your financial demons and make changes in those areas, you know, that, that you're most vulnerable to. Everybody has their, their vulnerable areas. You know, for me, it's, you know, probably playing golf, <laughs> quite frankly. But, uh, <clears throat> you know, and then the last mistake here is number five is not leaving enough cushion in your budget. Um, I see people all the time on their monthly, on their regular budget, they will have like a $4,000 monthly budget, and they'll have like $5 to spare between their income and their expenses. Well, guys, that doesn't work, you know? I mean, if you don't have room between, you don't have at least 10% cushion between your income and expenses, then your budget doesn't work. Because the problem is... You know, even for analytical people, you can't account for five percent of your money. Most likely, there's another five percent. It just varies. So you're um, saying they're not perfect planners. They're not perfect uh, it's, planners. It's you know, impossible to be perfect on the budget. I you mean, can't because things come up, things change. You know, things get more expensive. So you need about ten percent cushion in any budget on top of your savings. Um, so hopefully that means you actually save 5%, but at least you're not over in that area. And vacations are no different because, you know, you got to put an extra 10% in there for contingencies, taxes. People don't realize it, but sales taxes are 10 to 20% in vacation-type oh, items. You know, hotels, you never think about that. Especially in your high-tourist high places. Right. And the hotels, restaurants always have an, an expensive tax. So that's the thing. So just to wrap this up here, takeaways are great vacations don't have to cost you a lot, you know, or bust the family budget. You know, keep a real vacation budget and have a cushion in there. Tackle the budget busters. Break down all of your expenses. Um, you know, you can really relax on vacations if you have a budget and know that everything is covered. That's the moral here. Dave Ramsey would be proud of you, Mr. Marbert. <laughs> well, good, Taking frugal vacations. Good to know. Good to know. <laughs> All right. That leads us up here, speaking of him, to our last topic, and that is, uh, well, first, uh, prescription. we had the prescription of the week. Yeah, this prescription is kind of ties into the budgeting piece of it. Don't, don't make a, an emotional decision. Um, wait 24 hours at least to do that. We, you know, investing. We talk about purchases, um, vacations. If you're going through and making decisions based on emotion, most of the time they're going to be going to be wrong. If you can step back, you know, get some um, advice from other folks out there, um, do some research and so forth. But we see a lot of people reading headlines, making decisions, or purchasing stuff. You know, car lots, things like that. So 
emotion makes a big deal when you start purchasing things or making decisions. So stay away from that. Good prescription of the week. I agree 100%. Yep. <laughs> okay, and that leads us up to our final topic here, and that is the best investment advice could be just leave it alone. Yeah, I'll just go to the uh, the, <laughs> the bottom line the Bottom line here. As, where, as Warren Buffett puts it, the stock market is designed to transfer money from the active to the patient. So yeah, that's I, it. That's, I love that. That wraps that's it up. Segment. That's the whole Thanks thing. Thanks for joining huh? us. Yeah, that's right. No, we got a couple more minutes <laughs> no, here. we got a couple more topics here. But yeah, yeah that's, there, it's good advice. There was a, um, a gentleman, Jeremy Siegel, he wrote a book, um, and uh, it's called The Future for Investors, and it stresses um, one of the most important things to being a great investor, and that's the ability to sit on your hands and literally do nothing. So, you know, this... The data we're going to share is really interesting. S&P 500 contains 500 companies from the U.S., but it's constantly changing. Companies get booted from the index. Uh, maybe they're acquired by our competitors. Maybe they go out of business. So the uh, S&P has to replace the old stocks with new ones. So since its beginning back in 1957, there's been almost 1,000 companies that have been removed from the index and another 1,000 companies that have been added. Wow. And so this guy, Siegel, went through and calculated how the index would have performed um, rather than replacing old companies with new ones, if investors had just stuck with the original components. And so basically you let dying companies die and you reinvest those proceeds from buyouts into the surviving S&P 500 companies. And it's, it's pretty amazing, the results. It really is, you know. I mean, if you had bought the original 500 firms and never sold any of them, um, you would have outperformed the, the world's most famous benchmark index, but also the performance of most money managers and active money uh, equity funds out there, he writes, because the S&P 500 returned 10.3% a year from 1957, <clears throat> its founding, through December of, of 2003, whenever uh, this study was done. Mm-hmm. If you had stuck with the original 500 components, <laughs> letting the, comp- the dying companies die, reinvesting the proceeds in the companies that were bought out or surviving companies that were in there, um, there were 125 of them that made it all the way to 2003. You would have earned 11.3% a year, an extra 1% a year wow. over the, the index itself. But that, just staying very, in the game. Yeah. Just staying in there, just not leaving touching it. Alone. it. Not touching it. Right, yeah, right. and it's, it doesn't sound like a lot, but a dollar or let's say $10,000 invested in 1957 would have grown to uh, to $93,000. <clears throat> so it's a big difference, and then the survivor only portfolio would have grown to one hundred twenty four thousand. So it's a it's a big substantial difference. One percent is so. a big difference. Yep. And the normal S and P five hundred index requires a team of analysts, um, you know, deciding on which new companies to replenish the index with. So you know, you've got analysts out there that are making changes, and um, you know, may not happen the next fifty years. But I think there's a good reason, Gordon, as to why these results are the way they are. Yeah, Siegel writes that the new entrants tend to be young, fast-growing companies that are often expensive or you know overvalued, especially when they hit the market, uh, and that hurts future returns. Uh, the leftover companies tend to be old, slow-growing companies trading at cheap valuations. So you know, cheap stocks typically lead to to higher future returns. Uh, you know, then he goes on to say, I, I, I do not. Uh, excuse me, deny that these new firms uh, that have been added to the S&P index drive the creative destruction process that stimulates economic growth. But on the whole, these new firms did not serve investors well. So, you know, older surviving companies tend to be uh, those likely to be around in the future, too. And their age is a sign of, you know, robustness and adapt, uh, excuse me, adaptability. Excuse me. Yeah. 
Interesting fact. Yeah, and that, that's why some co- of the companies with the best long-term returns aren't blowout, innovative technology companies. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're insurance companies, tobacco companies, toothpaste companies, soap companies. They'll bore you to tears, but they produce mediocre returns for a long time. And, you know, that those investments compound into fortunes over time. That they sustain themselves. They, they last. Yeah, that's right. When you look at charts going back into the 60s, I mean, boring old consumer staples did the best by far, and uh, exciting new technology did the worst as well. So I think the biggest takeaway here, guys, is that, you know, the power of patience and inactivity. I mean, trying to time the markets in and out um, is um, – is not good based on what the history says. We see the Dalbar study. Um, you know, there's a lot of other studies that show that as well. Yeah, this is, this is a good example of how the insatiable thirst to buy, sell, and fiddle with you know portfolios that can actually lead to lower uh, long-term returns, even in what appears to be a passive portfolio like the S and P. Uh, analysts are consi- constantly thinking about what stocks to get rid of and what to replace them with. It sounds smart, but often, you know, it costs you in in returns. Yeah, so so much of successful investing relies not on your ability to buy and sell stocks better than anybody else, but your ability to hold these stocks longer than anyone else. And as as we started off, Warren Buffett puts it, the stock market is designed to transfer money from the active to the patient. So just leave it alone. I mean, this is a great article. Just leave it alone. Be diversified. Do some rebalancing. Have a plan. But leave it alone. And that's key there uh, is making sure that you are diversified properly. Then leave it alone. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. <laughs> Very good point. Just follow the discipline process of rebalancing, but resist the temptation to time the market to move in and out to try to, you know, chase the last hot performing asset class. Leave it alone. It will work over time. You know, the markets work over time, as history has shown. So that's a great, great topic. Okay, well, that leads us to this week's edition to a close of Money MD. Tune in next Saturday from 9 to 10 a.m. to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Do check us out on our website, moneymd.net, where you can email us your questions there. You can see all of our podcasts, download uh, recent uh, past shows, uh, or you can give us a call as well. Richard Young Associates, during regular business hours, 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend. Have a good one. Material on this program is intended for general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. None of the information contained in this broadcast is intended by the host to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. Endorsed local provider is an endorsement of customer service only and does not reflect quality of investment decisions and is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor, security sold through Independent Financial Group, LLC, member of FINRA and SIPC.